At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. Bet you missed my dulcet tones. <laughs> but they're back, baby. Here we're, we are. We're back to original flavor. Back in the saddle. Yeah. We heard the people didn't like Crystal Cryptid Keeper, and so... <laughs> No, actually, that's not true. I'm sure I, I hear that it was it went well. It went swimmingly. We have fun. We have fun here. We can have fun without you, Alex. <laughs> no, I know. You guys are both great. Anyway, right. so we're back. Yeah, we're back. Or I never left. <laughs> I'm back, and I've brought with me a friend. A friend. A friend. You've a ushered it a- known by many names. Oh, like actually, or yeah, you- like okay. several different names. All right, and you've ushered this friend into the space. I have, and I will just sort of, you know, part the curtain and let this cool friend enter with us. Uh, To preface, I just want to say, like, this is going to seem like a weird choice because I know that I've talked extensively about my cryptid choosing algorithm, and this will seem to reject that a little bit because I know we've done, like, several American cryptids lately, and I usually try to hop around the world a little bit, but I was looking for something, like, thematically appropriate, and there there was nothing because, like, what's going on right now, except that I have spent the past two weeks of my life doing saxophone instruction and like jazz camp stuff and band camp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, sort of out in the the heat and the, you know, the humidity and the swampiness. And so I thought, why not pick a fun bayou cryptid? Oh, okay. <laughs> so here today with me from the wild and exotic and linguistically diverse land of Louisiana. Awesome. I have brought you the Rougarou. Oh! <gasps> Oh, shoot! Yeah, are you ready? Yeah, I am, actually. So, this week's cryptid is the Rougarou, also known as the Lugarou, or the Rugarou, or what have you. Yeah, so uh, Mm. do you you know anything about the Rougarou? I know it's a real wolfy boy. A real wolfy boy, yeah. So, basically, the Rougarou is also known as the New Orleans werewolf, or the Mm -hmm. Louisiana werewolf, or the swamp werewolf, or whatever, what have you. And what's so fascinating about the Rougarou is that, like, is basically what I knew about it going into it. I knew that it was sort of like a regional specific werewolf myth, or a lycanthrope, if you will, because it's not quite a werewolf, and that's something that we'll get into, is that distinction. Is it a wenwolf? <laughs> it's a sometimes wolf. It's more of like a, a periodic wolf. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's what's fascinating, right? So in a lot of werewolf mythology, the changes are tied to very specific it's events. Moon. It's the moon, usually, right? Um, and not so with the Rougarou. Okay. The Rougarou actually is more common in a lot of ways to the Wendigo than it is to the werewolf. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, tell me. Let's dive right in. So, first things first, things to get out of the way about the Rougarou, or the Lugarou as it is known. So, Lugarou means wolfman, basically. Yeah, I'm so glad Um, you're doing this one, because my French pronunciation (laughs) is nothing. I Um, I took several years, so we'll see if any of it has stuck with me. Yeah, so Lugarou basically means, like, wolfman, um, which is why it's gotten the association of being werewolf, because we assume those are all the same things things, when in reality they're not. Um, and the myth of the Lugarou was brought over by French settlers, most notably French Canadians, who settled up in, you know, the northern part of North America, and then so later... Canada. In Canada. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at the time that they were settling, it wasn't necessarily, like, okay. the same regional boundaries that we know today. Right, it was, totally. like, northern United States as well as Canada, and French provinces up there before it totally. was Canada proper. Anyway, and when those individuals and those, those populations were involved in settling the Louisiana area... And sort of all of that, you know, Creole mingling that happened down there, they brought with them some of their folk tales from over in Laurentian France. Okay. And one of the things they brought with them was the Lugarou. And the Lugarou is basically an, an older story that was sort of invented as a cautionary tale okay. for children and also for Catholics. <laughs> and you I know. guess I guess, you know, also for Catholic children, if you want to get more specific no, no, about no, no, it. No, 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 no. For children and for Catholics. For children and for Catholics. 
So, like, a lot of folkloric creatures, it did sort of have this boogeyman aspect to right. it. You know, like, oh, kids, you better watch out and not stay out after dark or the Ruguru will get you. Or you better not, you know, wander off or the Ruguru will get you. Like, so it was that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. But it also does have this specific association with the Catholic faith because part of the belief of the origin story of the Ruguru is that this curse of the Ruguru could befall someone if they broke with, like, Catholic practices. Okay. So if you were not an observant enough Catholic, you could become a werewolf. (laughs) Oh, great. All right. Isn't that fun? Side note, I'm having, like, a very disturbing revelation right now that the French word you are saying Uh is something that for many years of my youth I saw written down and pronounced Mm -hmm. as loop-garoo. Yeah. Actually, I pronounced it as loop-garoo. Okay, so actually we should talk about that. And thank you for bringing that up. It is spelled L-O-U-P, which you probably can identify if you have any sort of, like, linguistic aspirations about yourself as like the same root word for like lupine or you know lupin if you're a harry potter fan she reached really hard with that one his name is it's also remus his name is yes if you don't know romulus and remus it's a roman myth about the founding of the city involves uh two young boys raised by a wolf yeah so like professor remus lupin is literally like dr moon moon okay (laughs) and people still didn't know he was a werewolf somehow it's the only only time in the entire series i felt sympathy for snape because it was like he's he's pointing at this man literally named wolf wolf and trying to tell people that he's a werewolf and nobody is listening (laughs) (laughs) oh no dr moon moon he couldn't possibly be a werewolf certainly not He's like, I gave you all the clues. Um, anyway, so yes, loop Garau. <laughs> all right, I don't need this. You I came to I you in an honest moment. In a moment of vulnerability. And I, I ripped you to shreds. Exposed on the, on my humanity to you. You did, and I appreciate it. But no, it's it's a word that does look very different written down. And so it's important to look at that and see like what the you know the actual parts of speech are. So yeah, mm-hmm. Lu means wolf. L O U P, and then Garou is like the, the association for like man or person or whatever. Um, so wolf person yeah. is what you get. Loop Garal does make more sense. Also, it's more fun to say. <laughs> also, I was a kid, and I did not know any French. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> You're doing all right, kid. Thank you. You're doing all right. At that point, I knew Spanish, and the only Spanish I knew was a song that our Spanish teacher would sing us with the days of the week. Oh, that's fun. I don't remember the melody, except for at the end it would go, Domingo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I anyway. I that before, too. <laughs> French kids' songs are brutal. Do you know the song Alouette? Oh, I know uh, what it's Alouette about. Alouette, uh, It's about a well, bird. Yeah. It's about plucking a bird live. <laughs> Sorry. Literally. Um, I have a serious question. Bird, little bird, I will pluck you. It's ser- awful. Oh, jeez. I have a serious question. Yeah. Is Frere Jaca, uh, is, I know it's asking him if he is sleeping. Is he dead? I don't think he's dead, but he might be dead. Like, given what I know about weird French kid songs, it's possible he's dead. Also, um, you know, do you know what, like, you know, La Cucaracha, right? Yeah. That was our children's song that we learned in my Spanish class. Do you know what that one's about? It's about a cockroach. Yeah, but beyond that, the actual, like, a loose translation of it is like, cockroach, cockroach, now you cannot walk because, like, you're missing some legs in the back. Oh, I did hear that. (laughs) Yeah, that's rough. That's that's pretty much the same thing as Alouette when you get yeah. done to it. Alouette is like a song that they use to like teach parts of the body. It's like head, shoulders, knees, and toes, except it's oh. about plucking a live bird. <laughs> so you like point uh. to different parts of your body and be like, I'll pluck your head, I'll pluck your neck, I'll pluck your <laughs> back, whatever, and you like point to different parts. <laughs> French children learn their body parts by threatening a bird. By threatening a small lark. Yes. It's <laughs> the worst. I'm sorry, uh, I got and then, distracted. You know, don't but... get me started on the French national anthem, which incidentally has one of the most metal verses of all time, which I love, which is La Marseillaise, um the chorus of the Marseillaise is Aux hommes citoyens, formez vos bataillons Marchons, marchons Que sang impur Abreuve nation Which means, um, to arms, citizens uh-huh. Form your battalions We march, we march, the impure blood Will water our fields <laughs> Oh my god <laughs> That's terrifying It escalates extremely quickly That is distressing Yeah, and then the different verses of La Marcia's go on to, like, call different generations to battle, basically. Jeez Louise. All yeah. right. Yep, it's a lot. And so this is the country that brought us the Loop Garau. The Loop Garau. Yes, right. exactly. I'm not... Anyway, so... I don't apologize for who uh, I am. No, being don't. Who I, I love am. it. I love it. So, yes, Loup Garou or Rougarou. Um, and Rougarou is just sort of like an oral, I guess, not... That's very simplification, but, you know, just, like, mm. words change over time, especially as they're not in France anymore. And yeah. so that, I think, is just, like, the the folk no. adaptation of that word. I am familiar with the Rougarou from one specific 
place, and I don't uh-huh. know if you came across this in your research. I don't know if you looked into its appearance in pop culture, but the Rougarou appears in an episode of Supernatural. I figured it might. Um, I didn't actually look into this. Okay. I was kind of hoping, actually. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I bet Addison has heard about this, and I bet that she knows about it either from True Blood or from Supernatural, and I'm I hope actually, that she'll bring that up. I'm honestly shocked it didn't appear in True Blood. There are werewolves in True Blood. And isn't and it set, like, in... It's in Louisiana. Yeah. Well, there are werewolves in True Blood, and they are not necessarily beholden to the cycles of the moon. Like, they are more like the werewolves in the Twilight franchise, for instance, where they transform at will. So they might be Rougarou. Yeah. So I think, actually, there is something to be said for the implication that they are. And I might be wrong. I watched all the seasons of that mm-hmm. show in, like, three weeks. So I might have missed a reference. There are several, like, characters that speak French, and one of them mm-hmm. might have even called them the It's possible that they are Rougarou without, like, yeah. explicitly being called Rougarou. Incidentally, yeah. the plural of Rougarou or of Lugarou is just the same word. Oh, um, nice. Pronounced the same like way. Like so, so the plural of, well, slightly. The plural of Rougarou is Rougarou with an X on the end. Oh, nice. Because that's how French works. I like that. Yep. I, they're also, to be fair, on True Blood, there are also panthers. So they're just nice. kind of going really wild with their, uh, Just getting all crazy up here with yeah. the shapeshifters. With, with just their mythology in general. There's also fairies. They just get real wild with mythology on Love True it. Blood. But there is a Supernatural episode, and they play it kind of fast and loose with the Rougarou mythology. Because okay. as far as I remember, in that episode, they don't really pay a focus on the wolf aspect. Mm-hmm. They focus on the compulsion to eat raw meat. Ah, okay. Let's dive in. Okay, yeah. Because this will go some places, and okay, I like cool. it. Okay, cool. Well, okay, I've given you a very basic overview of, like, what the Rougarou sort of is. It's important to understand, though, how the Rougarou comes about mm-hmm. and then how that specific sort of mythology or those rules or it's it's usually viewed as a curse. Okay, yeah. so being a Rougarou is like a curse right. that is like a burden that's put upon you for very specific reasons. And then you are beholden to, like, specific rules of that sort of curse or those those restrictions or what have you. And so it is different from being a werewolf in that way. It's not just like this general angsty burden of, oh, I'm a werewolf. I'm going to hurt everyone I love. Like, it's it's like, oh, no, I'm a Rougarou, and now I've got to go through these specific observances. Otherwise, I'm going to be a Rougarou for the rest of my life. Right. So, Lugarou were originally believed to hunt and kill Catholic Christians not observing Lent okay. and abiding by its rules. Uh, if you don't know what Lent is, it's a religious observance. Usually people nowadays, quote unquote, celebrate it by uh, making, like, personal sacrifices, giving mm-hmm. up something that maybe they have a hard time with throughout the year. They'll be like, oh, I'll give up sugar or I'll give up um, drinking sodas or I'll give mm-hmm. up smoking or whatever for 40 days. So yeah. it's like a 40-day period of abstinence from a particular vice in your life. I actually, and I try not to do too many personal anecdotes on this show. That's a lie. I do a lot of them. But I, I grew up going to a very small uh, private school that was very, like, the curriculum wasn't, but the student body was very Christian-centric. Mm-hmm. And I also was raised very a-religious. Like, I wasn't really raised with a particular religious lens. And so every time Lent would roll around, everyone would, like, always ask each other, like, what are you giving up for Lent? Mm-hmm. And I just kind of reached a point where, through contextual clues, I assumed that Lent was just a time when people gave up a thing they liked. Oh, yeah. And I knew nothing about the greater religious significance or the cultural context of it at all. So I would just make something up when someone would ask me. I'd just be like, oh, ice cream. And then I would like forget about it and eat ice cream for the next 40 days. I I will just say that my personal belief, and this is not a reflection on anybody who practices Lent or goes through it or whatever it may mean to you. I believe that like all religious practices, its personal significance to you is probably the most important thing about it. And if it helps you connect in some spiritual way with a higher power or with the tenets of your faith or brings you into a closer alignment with whatever your spiritual connection and practices, then it's doing its job. For me, I find it personally buck wild that you would like align yourself with the sacrifices of Christ by giving up ice cream. <laughs> and this isn't, like a, a, con- oh, no, this isn't a condemnation of you. This is like, oh, yes, this is the period of the year when I acknowledge the fact that our Messiah literally died for all of our sins. So I think what I'm going to do is not drink Pepsi products. Isn't it representative of when he was tempted in the desert? I believe so, okay. yeah. But it's just like, it's, no, yeah. I, it's wild to me. Oh, no, totally. I, I do think it's a bit silly. No, I get that. And that's just me personally. So that I, means that yeah. I would probably be in big danger of becoming a Rougarou because... You don't observe Lent. Because I don't observe Lent. And one of the beliefs related to the French Catholic faith specifically suggested that if a person broke the rules of Lent for seven consecutive years, um, then they would automatically become a Rougarou. Wow, why am I not a Rougarou yet? Yeah, I don't know. Well, probably because you're not French Catholic. I was just about to say, do you have to be Catholic to begin with? I think you have to be Catholic 
Catholic to begin with. Oh, well, and that's then fine. and then break the rules of Catholicism. But to be fair, if you weren't Catholic, there were probably other horrible yeah. things that were going okay, to happen well, um, to you. <laughs> so, uh, survival tip: don't don't be ever Catholic. be Catholic. If you are Catholic, you just got to keep going. You can't break the rules. You can't break the rules, or break it for six consecutive years and then take a year back on, and then you're fine. Yeah, just like measure it out. It's consecutive years. Yeah, so you can like take as many years off as you want, as long as you have like buffer you years. Do, you have buffer years where you do observe Lent, and that's how you stave off becoming a wolf person. That's it. That's how you do it. According to another belief, becoming a Ruguru is like a specific spell or curse that someone will put on you, mm. like a witch or, or, you know, a warlock. Ill will. Yeah, magical force. It's also believed that the curse of the Ruguru or becoming a Ruguru lasts specifically for 101 days. And that's so, like a specific number that shows up a lot. You're in wolf form for that long, or you are a Ruguru? Like, I don't really understand. Yeah, that. we'll remain in like the wolf person form oh my God. for 101 days. Oh my God. But the curse will be passed on to another human being when the Lugaru draws that person's blood. Mm hmm. So it's not like biting somebody specifically that turns them into. Could be a scratch. Uh, yeah, it, but it has to draw blood. Yeah. So, like, if you don't break the skin, yeah. then they're fine. What if you're literally. I'm being a jerk right now, but what if you're like a nurse and you have the Luguru curse and you are doing like a blood drive and you draw someone's blood? Oh man. Will they get the curse? Oh man, I bet they will. They probably will. Is that does that technicality work? I don't know. Are you still attending your nursely duties while you are in wolf form? Yeah. <laughs> what if you're just walking down an alley at night in France and out of like the darkness comes a wolf with like a knife in its mouth and it stabs you with the knife and you bleed? Does that pass the curse on? If it is a Lugaru no, and not just a wolf, that's just a regular I mean. wolf with a knife in its oh, mouth, oh, then you're fine. No, um, if it's a if it's a Ruguru with a knife in its mouth, probably this this curse is wild. It's some wild blood magic. <laughs> yeah, I do think that this like leaves the the rich unexplored world of the lore wide open for fan fictions. So Sorry, I'm hoping I was having get fun some. with a with a wolf nurse. <laughs> what if you are a Lugaru and you like trip and skin your knee and draw your own blood? Do you get it for another hundred and one days? <gasps> wow! Oh my god, it goes so deep. <laughs> Anything is possible when you dig deep into technicalities and don't care about shame. Another uh, specific point about the curse from mythologian.net reads, and I don't know how to parse this sentence, so I'm just going to read it out loud. Yeah, read it to me. Let's go. Another myth suggests that only a witch can put a Lugaru curse on a person, either by becoming a wolf herself or simply cursing people with lycanthropy. What? <laughs> you know, simply cursing someone with lycanthropy or is just, a way to do the curse. Or just by becoming a wolf yourself. Like, but I don't understand because it's like only a witch can put the curse on a person by becoming a wolf herself. <laughs> does it mean like, like she becomes a wolf and then she scratches you as a wolf? And I then don't you know. It? Or does it mean like technically a way to make a person a wolf person is just become a wolf because <laughs> you're a person. And then, <laughs> I mean, I guess technically. You did like, it. I don't understand. I don't know. Or it's like a witch can, per- can curse a person with lycanthropy Simply by cursing them with lycanthropy. Like, what does that mean? What is that? I don't know what it means. Well, Alex, if you know how to curse someone with lycanthropy, you might just do it. They're not going to tell you in this article. Yeah, I don't know. Just like, actually, fun fact, in the movie Fight Club, there is a sequence where Brad Pitt's character is talking to Edward Norton's character on the airplane, and he is, like, being a weirdo like that character is, like Tyler Durden is, being a weirdo antagonist. And he says, this, like, he says this thing about, like, did you know if you mix uh, frozen orange juice concentrate with, like, and he lists a couple other things, he says it'll make napalm. And fun fact, when they wrote the screenplay, they had to take out a few ingredients because they didn't want people to be able to actually use that singing as a recipe. Oh, right, yeah. So... It's it's but but it just reminds me. So if they told you the secret to like Anthony be in this article, you would do it. That's true. They can't just do that, Alex. That's true. Although this article, the same article from Mythologian.net, goes on to say something that is interesting. Mm-hmm. An expert on Cajun folklore, Professor Barry Jean Ancelet of the University of Louisiana, nice. wrote in an article that Lugarus were a result of a curse, but sometimes a person voluntarily chose to become one. There we go. Some stories suggest that, by means of therianthropy, the ability of metamorphosing into animals, a person can willingly transform into a Ruguru. Nice. The origin of the myth regarding Lugarus dates back to medieval France. The myth changed with time, and in the 16th century, people started to believe that the Lugaru curse was genetic and not something that could be transferred from one person to another. That's um, 
in the Supernatural episode, it's genetic. Yeah. Sorry, spoilers for an episode of Supernatural from like 2007. Yeah, right. Um, So this is where we start to see sort of a divergence in the myth. So prior to this point, it's this idea of like this sort of divine retribution for being a bad Catholic or for getting yourself involved in black magics or like basically doing things you oughtn't to do. But starting in the 16th century, there became this belief that it was in fact hereditary, that it was a genetic thing, and that you couldn't pass it on to other people. It was just sort of inherited, which is like a weirdly astute observation for people in the 16th century. <laughs> because yeah. even now there are people who still think that there are like genetic things that you can pass on to people. It's like, yeah. you no, know, you can't get diabetes from someone else. Yeah. But back then it was, oh, that was during the period of time where they still thought if you had an amputated limb and had a kid, your kid wouldn't have an arm. Your kid wouldn't like, have an arm. Yeah. Biology is buck wild. The history of biology and our understanding of genetics and how things are passed on, it's, it's, it's oh, wild. Oh, yeah. It's insane. But, it's really fascinating. But anyway, so yeah. So then people started believing like that it wasn't a curse you could pass on, not even by the drawing of blood yet. Oh, shoot. But just one that, um, you know, you either had or you didn't have. Now, what's really interesting about this belief of it as a genetic sort of, I don't want to say like disorder, but I guess genetic condition, Mm -hmm. is that people actually had a fairly like refined idea of what this meant. And that's really interesting if you look at it in terms of like modern genetics and how it tracks, which is they believed that you could be like a genetic carrier of this Rougarou quote unquote curse, but that there would have to be an event in your life that triggered the transformation. Yes. Um, Sorry. So that up until that point, you were effectively just a carrier for it. Yes. So basically, like, if your parents were Lugaru, then you would inherit the sort of Lugaru curse, but you wouldn't present it or that wouldn't be, you know, manifested mm-hmm. um, until a certain event in your life triggered it. Yes. I am listening. I need to literally pull up a thing on this Supernatural yeah, episode do. now because I'm remembering. I'm trying to figure out how much of this is me projecting that this was in the episode and how much of this actually was in it. Yeah. Okay. In in the Supernatural universe, the transformation begins at age 30. Interesting. They're born and live as human for all intents and purposes, unaware of their condition. But at a certain age, they begin craving large quantities of food. It's a genetic condition passed down. They'll eventually give in to the urge to feed and devour a human. And then it changes very fast. Like after their first bite of human flesh, they lose their human appearance and become an animalistic monster. So there you have it. Yeah. Well, in the classical Louisiana French tradition... Um, or in that specific mythology, basically, yeah, they believe there is an event in the person's life that triggers it. So it's not an age thing. It's like something happens, and I don't know specifically what. I looked in a few different places, and I don't think there's like a standardized sort of like this thing, if it happens to you, will trigger the Lugaru curse. Let's say it's like anything, basically, that could sort of awaken that latent right. potential in you. Once that condition is triggered, though, um, it describes like a Lugaru's body enlarging and them getting a craving for raw meat. Yep, and then the transformation process is completed when the person takes a bite of human flesh. So okay, that so much is on tracks with supernatural. Now, to be fair, that now the design of the Rigoru on supernatural mm-hmm. is not wolfish in the slightest. It's like I'm gonna look for a picture so you can see. Yeah, please it's do. Like really like veiny and kind of ghoulish. Oh, that's interesting. They look kind of like this. Okay, um, so what your, the picture that you're showing me really shows more like sort of stereotypical demon-ish portrayal where you can like sort of see the veins and like the weird black tinge and like the lips and the eyes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some reasoning for that too. So I'm not going to go outright and say that like this is wrong. Okay. Um, because so basically when you're looking at um, at Cajun culture, at Creole culture, what you're mm-hmm. getting is a blending of many different yeah. sort of cultural influences all at one time, right? Right. And so the Lugaru specifically is coming from this French tradition and the, the idea of, like, the curse and the, you know, yeah. arcane magics and the, the practitioners of Lent or whatever, like, that is all coming from this specific tradition. However, I mentioned earlier that the the Rougarou, um does also seem to tie in very strongly with the idea of the Wendigo. Yes. Which we talked about a lot. And specifically, once you get into this idea of, like, oh, a person, like, eating human flesh yeah. completes a transformation into a Rougarou, that's very similar to the idea of the Wendigo being, like, that transformation being complete in somebody when they commit, like, a huge cultural taboo, specifically mm-hmm. cannibalism. Yeah. And so you can see where that overlap sort of happens. And I definitely believe, and my sources believe as well, which is, like, the, one of the most sort of cryptic things I've said on this podcast. My sources believe, oh, like oh, the internet yeah. sources that I looked at, believe yeah. that some of that indigenous mythology also tracks with and has influenced the idea of the Rougarou mm-hmm. as it's come over. Yeah. And, oh my God, I can't believe I never made this connection. What am I doing? Alex. Yes. 
I have no reason to not believe. It's obviously not. There's no, like, the wolf inspiration mm-hmm. is not involved. But I have no reason to not believe that the movie Raw wasn't somehow inspired by Ruguru mythology. If it's fr- if it's French in origin, it's a French film. And very yeah, much— Yeah, I was actually—I was thinking yeah. about that when I was researching this because you just told me about this film the other day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sorry, spoilers, if anyone wanted to watch the movie, you want to skip ahead just a couple minutes. Um, but essentially, the movie Raw is about a woman who's a veterinary student, and she— uh, has been a vegetarian her whole life. She eats raw meat for the first time as part of like a hazing thing for like a, her veterinary program. And she starts craving raw meat. And eventually that craving escalates to human flesh. She discovers that her sister already had the same experience and has been eating people for like a long time. And then they both discover at the end of the film that this didn't just originate with them. This came, was passed down to them from their mother. And yeah. it's some sort of like primal thing lying dormant in their genes awakened by them eating yeah so that's meat. extremely rigorous yeah <laughs> particularly because and they don't ever physically transform into anything but there's a scene where the two sisters fight each other like start fighting and it is so like canine mm-hmm. and i and i i obviously don't have any proof that this is inspired but being a french film and the genetic component the raw meat component all of that mm-hmm. just i have yeah, a lot absolutely. of trouble believing those aren't linked also raw is one of my favorite films i've ever seen if you have a strong stomach and you like psychological horror uh, by really awesome female directors, I would recommend it. If you do not like any of those things, particularly if you don't have a strong stomach, don't watch it. But it is a great film. It's really beautifully made. But anyway, the genetic component specifically stuck out to me. And I, yeah, I can't, I can't separate those in my head now. You were talking about it and I just had a moment of like. Yeah, I think that you shouldn't. I, that's yeah. like definitely, that's a strong association to make. And I think that's a really good way to understand sort of like the idea of what this thing is, which is what I found so fascinating. Because when I started looking at it, I really was just thinking like, oh, Bayou Werewolf. And that's an acceptable simplification of it. Mm -hmm. But really, the cultural foothold this thing has and the understanding of it and the belief of its pervasiveness in like the very specific circumstances that bring it about is so fundamentally different that it's really fascinating to me. It sounds to me very much like wolf meets Wendigo in its in its construction mm-hmm. and it is it is very interesting because i feel like historically speaking wolves are this representative of corruption and um kind of evil which is of course not true super to actually wolves. wolves super unfair to wolves but if you actually look back at and a lot of people aren't as familiar but with the original myth of little red riding hood which is by the mm-hmm. way deeply disturbing oh gosh yeah. um but the wolf is very heavily representative of c- corruption and actually in the original myth is linked to black magic mm-hmm. um and I, I just I just find it very interesting to watch that evolution throughout history of wolves being associated with human corruption. And when you mesh that with what appears in the Wendigo story and also in a lot of stories just throughout human history, cannibalism is one of the ultimate taboos, has been in a lot of cultures for a very long time. And when you mix kind of wolves as the symbol of historically the symbol of like anti-Christianity and like black magic and corruption and you mm-hmm. mix that with cannibalism, it's just – I don't really have an end game to this statement so much as I just think that's very interesting. There's a lot to be said, actually, about just like the sort of literary and textual and psychological and metaphorical relationship that humans have with wolves anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at like just there's so many tropes involving wolves or like the raised by wolves thing or like the, you know, mm-hmm. but just looking at what wolves sort of represent to our culture and I think about this specifically in relationship to, like, wolves and dogs, right? Mm-hmm. How, like, dogs are essentially just domesticated wolves, right? So we saw this thing in nature and we took it and, like, bent it to our own purposes. And I think what freaks us out so much about wolves and sometimes dogs is that, like, that feeling that that could turn on us. Mm-hmm. That, like, there's still, like, we took wolves and we domesticated them and, like, we formed this kinship and this trust and this loyalty with them. And way back earlier in our genetic history... Um, relied on them really heavily for protection mm-hmm. and for literal strength and like moving things around like help with hunting to help with hunting like we were dependent on them for survival but there was this idea that they could turn on us yeah and the same things that we sort of like needed them to be able to do and and mm-hmm. um, prized them for we were also inherently terrified of yeah like the fact that wolves and then dogs are such good hunters is what made them such mm-hmm. worthwhile hunting companions but also we, I think, know on some level that, like, we don't stand a chance against them. Yes. And so there's that idea, but also that idea of, like, 
you know, sort of feral nature versus domesticity. Yeah. And so, like, what the wolf represents call to of the us wild. is called the wild. This idea that, like, there is still that primal urge there, whether in dogs or whether in us as people, that is lying dormant. And um, a lot of people feel this way, you know, about dogs or, like, have a, a fear of dogs. I don't, obviously. I like, if a dog decided that it was time for me to go, I'd trust it. Um, but, but this idea that, like, and I think it's sometimes just, like, a deeply embedded thing. Because if you've ever seen a dog, like, snarl unexpectedly at something, like, it, you know, you feel taken aback. Like, yeah. it's wild to see this thing that you have come to develop such specific, like, bonds and, and trust and affection and, like, ease with to have that lingering just under the surface. Mm-hmm. And so I think that scares us. And then the association of that, like, when coupled with this idea of, like, what civilized, quote-unquote, humanity should look like, it's a really powerful image. Right. And so that idea of someone reverting to ferality, basically, because of doing something that essentially forsook their humanity mm-hmm. is fascinating. And it makes sense to me that the wolf would be a natural component of that. Absolutely. And actually, I'm remembering, and I'm so mad at myself because I do not remember this man's name. There was a... And I don't even remember the country. It's been so long since I heard about this story. But there was a serial killer, a prominent serial killer, I want to say in Russia. And this was a long time ago. This was like early 1900s. Who I want to say in Russia, but who wore a wolf skin around his, like a wolf skin belt. Mm -hmm. And when he was finally discovered and arrested, he Mm -hmm. claimed that he was turning into a wolf when he killed people. I think I heard this on an episode of Lore. Probably. It's, it's, but it's a very interesting, if we're talking about the mesh, the melding of those two worlds, that is a very real life example of someone who, in their mind, whether he actually believed that that was the case or not, meshed those two ideas of human ferality and, and, and like violence with, with a wolf, which is, again, if you know very much about actual wolves, is a dramatic misconception of their behavior. It really is. Wolves are not very naturally aggressive. Like, they're not, <laughs> they're not, like, out here just, like, killing for fun. Like, no, wolves are actually much more interested in avoiding conflict than they yeah. are in pursuing it. Like, they're not aggressive. They're just very defensive. Wolves and I have that in common. <laughs> but, exactly. But, but if we are talking about wolves as a cultural idea, then... Particularly, I should say, in European, in like mm-hmm. European cultures, yeah. obviously there's very different perspectives on wolves in other cultures. Um, but in European cultures, specifically like Catholic based European cultures. So if we're talking about like these Catholic countries like France Definitely. and Italy and Spain and uh, for a period of time, England, that's where you get this wolves as related to evil. And right the scary kind of wild. It's the same way the woods is symbolic of evil yeah, very much and so. black magic and the unknown and the wild in a lot of old stories. Um, you see that also particularly pop up in Puritan writings is stay away from the forest. Mm-hmm. The forest is where like our darkness lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the Rougarou or the the loop Garou, um <laughs> is a really interesting way of finally seeing the blending of those ideas of like, we are afraid of the fact that we really are at the end of the day. We've built buildings. We've designed all kinds of amazing things. We have technology. We've wrapped ourselves in this little bubble. But at the end of the day, we are still animals. Yeah. And that's something we want to forget. We're not very comfortable with that. We're yeah. very uncomfortable with that as a species. And I think that the Rougarou is this very interesting and uncomfortable combination of reminders that at the end of the day, we are animals. Yeah. So now that we've, like, dived really oh, yeah. deep into that sort of, like, wolf aspect, let's talk about a few ways in which the Ruguru is, like, sometimes not a wolf. <laughs> yeah, please. Why not? Okay. So the Ruguru is most often described as having a, like, human or humanoid body yeah. with the head of a wolf or dog. Um, okay. Sometimes with glowing red eyes, which nice. we, we find a lot, and razor-sharp teeth, obviously. Nice. However, okay. there are va- variations that also associate with animals such as pigs, cows, and chickens. I don't know why, but a pig is making me the most afraid. A chicken is buck wild, though. <laughs> Question about the chicken. Yes. Is it a human-sized body with a chicken head? Would you rather fight one chicken-sized rougarou or one rougarou-sized chicken? <laughs> Joke. It's on you. They're the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. There's there's no more to that, but I thought that was a really fascinating little tidbit. And I only found it in one place that I looked. But Here's the thing, though. The uh, I'm not over the fact that the pig one is actually really freaking me out because here's horrible. the thing about pigs. They are opportunistic omnivores. They will eat anything. Pigs have eaten Literally. many people. That has it's happened. Horrible. Um, if you are a pig farmer and you die and you fall into the pig pen, they will eat your body. Sorry. I'm yeah, done. they don't care. 
<laughs> anyway, um, but the Ruguru also is often associated with, and this is fun, uh, the skunk ape. <gasps> or the Honey what? Island, or the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Oh, I've read about him as well. Yeah, and there are sightings that sort of overlap that people have some debate about which one it was. The Honey Island because Swamp Monster. Because basically, once you get into like human-sized, sort of hulking, hairy figures, it's like, are you the Honey Island Swamp Monster? Are you a local high school quarterback? Like, are you Nick Offerman? Like, I can't tell. <laughs> be nice. I love Nick Offerman. I know. If I found out Nick Offerman was a Ruguru, I would lose my mind. That'd be the coolest shit. He does eat a lot of meat. He does. Well, actually, I found out he doesn't actually eat that much meat. It's more of a Ron Swanson deal. Yeah, it's definitely like a character. He, like, really likes oatmeal. (laughs) Of course he does. He's kind of a, he's just kind of a, kind of a whole grain man. Yeah, he's pretty crunchy, dude. Yeah. A whole grain man. I really, I I just said the descriptor and now I really like it. He and his wife do, like, puzzles all the time. That's that, like they're, they're, it's like their couple's activity. Is that real? Or are it's, you it's that real. Up? That's so cute. No, there are all these pictures that like pose with them after they finish their puzzles. You know Usually he, in like somewhat erotic ways. Oh, you know, he knows, you know, he knows how to break dance. That's awesome. He took break dancing classes when he was a kid. Anyway. That's pretty dope. She talked about it in an interview. All right. Anyway. Um, so yeah, there are some sightings that have overlap with the skunk ape or the Honey Island Swamp Monster, namely because, you know, once you see large humanoids that are blurry in photographs at best, you're just going to start and covered you know, in hair. using them to verify whatever story is most relevant to you. It is worth noting, however, that this association happens somewhat frequently and that the Sasquatch Association is pretty strong because when you get into looking at animals that are like a cross between sort of humanoid and wolf, eventually you're going to end up with something in the middle that is sort of vaguely simian, right? Like, right. Because that's just sort of what the crossover of those traits is going to look like. Yeah. Bigfoot um, is vegan, though, so I really do resent the comparison. Yeah, I mean, totally fair. This source from Exemplar also says that there are some further variations on the Ruguru myth, which we talked about, like, the curse thing, and we mm-hmm. talked about the, the Catholicism thing. We talked about the 101-day-long curse period. Yes, which is and wild. the drawing of blood. This has a very specific aspect to it, which I, I saw in a few other places as well, and I think it's funny. Um, I uh-huh. mean, like, it's probably not funny to the person it happens to, but this says, <laughs> yeah. local stories say the Ruguru roams the streets at night, antagonizing people to attack it. When the first drop of blood is drawn, they return to human form and tell the attacker who they really are. If the witness tells anyone about this encounter within a year and a day, they will become a Ruguru themselves. What the hell? That's such a weird prank. It's so specific. It's like, hey, beat me up. <laughs> it's like, all Come right. On, hit me, hit me, hit me. Yeah. They're like those, uh, they're like those dudes, and I like I don't consider them pranks, but they're like prank channels yes. where they just like go up to people on the street and like antagonize them and then videotape what happens. Yeah. And that I feel like the Ruger's just got like his friend with a camera in the corner. The Troom Troom like, of werewolves. <laughs> the tr- don't you smear Troom Troom like this. <laughs> the Troom Guru. Um, no, don't you smear Troom Troom like this. Okay. They just want to teach people how to DIY fun edible pranks. <laughs> they also want to like emotionally harangue their teachers. <laughs> That's true, but we don't need to go into the Troom Troom lore on this hey, podcast. Hey, listen, Troom Troom is wild. Trust me. Um, Google it. T-R-O-O-M-T-R-O-O-M. Just let it happen. Do they really need us to boost their traffic? Just let it happen. (laughs) Just don't. I'm not going to tell you anything else about Troom Troom. I'm just going to tell you to experience it. Anyway, so that's another weird, highly specific variation on the Ruguru myth. Mm Mm-hmm. And the more you know. The more I know, yeah. I love that one. That one is hysterical. That is some frat bro Yeah, like, so they transform back into a person right in front of you, announce their identity, and then say, hey, if you tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but after 101 days pass, they can tell someone, Uh, After a year and a day. A year and a day. What? Yep. I don't understand the Ruguru math. Maybe it's lost in translation because we don't use the metric system. I don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's that French math. (laughs) It's that French, French metric gears i don't know but having described the ruguru physically now let's talk about something interesting oh have we not been talking about interesting things i think the whole thing's interesting i love the ruguru okay cool back in 1996 Uh the de quincey news printed a rather unusual story all right it tells the story of a woman named barbara mullins who stumbled across something very unusual on the side of a rural louisiana state highway all right mullins was driving down louisiana state highway 12 when she noticed what appeared to be the road killed carcass of a large animal at the edge of the road's paved surface what'd you see babs she decided to stop and have a look and what she saw amazed her which is the most clickbaity writing ever yeah. i love it so much come on babs she described the animal as being roughly equivalent in size to an adult saint bernard The beast was covered with a thick, matted coat of reddish-brown hair. What really stood out to Mullins was the overall simian appearance of the animal. This didn't look like any sort of dog she had ever seen. The snout was more like what one would see on a baboon than a dog. The Mm. ears of the animal were small and pointy, not dog-like at all. 
The feature that stood out more than any, however, was the very unpaw-like feet of the creature. They were long and elongated and looked much more like the feet of an ape than those of any canine. Mullins, unlike so many people who have had strange encounters, had a camera in the car and <gasps> took several intriguing photos. Yes, Mullins. Yeah. So look at this. We have very clear photos of this carcass that she oh found my on the side of the road. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't really see its features very well, but... Yeah. So the problem with these photos is they're actually... I mean, they're very clear. Like, the quality of the photo is good. And you can sort of see, like, the snout here. And, like, there's the top yeah. of his mouth and the bottom and the little teeth. Oh, and it does have, like, that baboon sort of I do face. see that. The difficult thing about these pictures is that, one, there's nothing in the picture to establish the size of it. Yeah. There's nothing for scale. So you yeah. can't really tell how big the animal is and whether or not it was, like, exaggerated. Um, but if this thing really is the size of a St. Bernard, then there's really no known animal that it could yeah. be. I, I the, only, the closest thing I can think is an orangutan, but why would it be there? Yeah, right. In Louisiana. So the, these pictures and the incident come to be known as the Derrider Roadkill, D-E-R-I-D-D-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a kind of interesting. So the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries wasted very little time before stating that the animal was nothing more than a Pomeranian dog. What? <laughs> That's Okay, I've seen the picture. That's not a Pomeranian. It, it looks nothing like a Pomeranian. That's Others, just straight up not yeah. a Pomeranian. Others felt, due to the simian-like features present, that the animal was some sort of primate. Some ventured this was physical evidence proving the existence of none other than the legendary Rougarou. Right? Uh-huh. Of course. I would say if it's been described way more apey, I don't think I'd say Rougarou, but that's fine. But you know what? It's what it is. Maybe that was the uh, Honey Island's Wet Monster. It might have been. Or how and did it smell? Did she get a whiff of it? I don't think that she did, no. Because it could have been a skunk ape. Didn't get a sniff? Possible. Didn't. No, there's no no sniff energy reported in the post. Ugh. Well, then, like, what kind of investigator even is Barbara Mullins? I don't know. Right, I'm sorry, Get Barbara. with it, Babs. All right. Um, <laughs> we shouldn't antagonize this poor woman. I'd love to have a few more, like, sort of encounter stories for you. None of these are really so much detailed sightings, at least not to that quality, but, mm-hmm. you know, some, some sort of folk tales or, no, like, I'm family it. stories passed down. I'm into it. A lot of stuff having to deal with the Ruguru is, like, family stories that are passed down from person totally. to person being, like, your grandfather or maybe uncle or possibly cousin, not really sure, had an encounter with a Ruguru. And it's, like, they're very unclear, but they're very fun. Yeah. Anyway, a story in a local college newspaper called The Nicholsworth, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S, which I think is funny, mm-hmm. um, was titled, Rougarou Remains Strong Figure in Cajun Folklore. It recounts a story from a woman about an experience in her youth. She says a local boy was being followed by a dog when he decided to cut it with a pocket knife. Why? The boy saw Sorry. the dog turn into a man, then ran home to tell his family. According to the woman, the next day, a prominent physician appeared in town with his right arm cut and in a sling. Nice. The story gets, like, a little darker, though, from there. Oh. I remember when the physician shot himself here in Lockport. A year later, the boy killed himself and left a letter that the family turned over to the sheriff. Even today, he refuses to let anyone see it. Jeez. So, that's wild. Dark. Yeah, no kidding. That story is troubling. Yeah, it goes like... One of the weirdly most troubling parts of that is he was being followed by a dog and just decided to cut it with a pocket knife. It's not awesome. He di- yeah. It didn't even say that the dog tried to bite him or anything. There's just a dog. There. I don't know yeah. if it was following him in a menacing way, but like... I have trouble. I don't know. I don't mean that's the thing I glom onto, but just that being your first instinct is weird to me. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. But it does line up with apparently what a, a somewhat common darker variation on the story is, which is that people who encounter a, a Rougarou or people who, like, have one of those encounters where, like, they turn one back and see it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, like, sometime within—so we talked about, like, if they tell anybody within a year and a day, they'll become a Rougarou themselves— um, but there's also another variation, which is that usually within a year, that person commits suicide. Oh, dark. Which is dark. Very dark. Yeah. A weirdly common thread through a lot of kind of, not this kind of story, but in a lot of, like, folklore that's linked to mm-hmm. shapeshifters and, like, kind of weird intermediate critters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty wild. Were you ever familiar with, a uh, like, a no sleep slash creepypasta thing called Smile Dog? No, I don't know that one. SmileDog.jpg, it was involving, like, this cursed picture of, like, a dog with human teeth. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. And if you, like, saw it, uh, you, like, lose your mind and die. Okay. I didn't know the part. I've seen the picture. I didn't know no, the No, like, like, the story behind SmileDog. And to be fair, that's not supposed to be the actual picture. I think that's supposed to be, like, the closest thing people can find because no one who's seen the actual right, picture is right, alive right. to tell the tale. 
But I remember being very afraid of smiledog.jpg when I was in high school. I should think so. My point being, maybe it's a Ruguru. I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. It's a very tenuous connection, but I really wanted a chance to bring up smiledog.jpg. And I know it's a very kind of, it's a serious kind of story, but um, I have trouble taking seriously a lot of horror stories that end with like a file extension, like a... Yeah, right. Like something <laughs> dot, dot, There was another one that was like dot .exe, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> very scary. Digital horror is fun, but like sometimes it gets a little silly. But anyway. Let me see. So this one is um, a little bit different. This isn't like yeah. a specific encounter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this actually is from a feature from the dailycomet.com from nice. the Lafourche Parish in Louisiana. Okay. And uh, basically the article was written as a lead up to the Ruguru Festival that they have down nice. there. Nice. It's a big pre-Halloween festival, so like right in the fall when oh, like things get all foggy nice. and creepy, they have a Ruguru festival, which I think is really cool. That sounds cool. fun. Yeah, right? Okay. Anyway, uh, retired printer Butch Robichaud shared his first person observations of the creature and starts with when I was growing up on Lavron Street, all the older kids would tell their kids and grandkids to make sure they were back home before nightfall or the Ruguru would get them. Of course I knew that was just their way of getting us home early. But I gotta tell you, in the cool, misty fall season, I was always home before the sun went down. I'm quite a bit older now, and I live on the banks of Bayou Blue, my house backed by acres of wooded wetlands, that kind of location where the creatures are mostly seen. Sometimes, around sunset or a little after, I would venture out into the woods just to enjoy the wonderful smells and sights of our marvelous wetlands. And without warning, I would detect a musky odor and hear a deep-throated growl. That growl is always behind you, no matter what direction you're facing. Oh. I get goosebumps just talking about it. If it's late enough and dark enough, you can see red, beady eyes peering at you from behind the next tree. And of course, you change directions, and it happens again and again. Some people panic and get lost and are never seen again. Did the Rougarou get them? No one has ever captured one, and I don't go out late as much as I used to, but I have done some research on my own. What I found is this. The Rougarou is attracted to the smell of beer. Each of my many sightings happened just after drinking a few bottles. So mm. stay indoors if you're in the deep south in the fall when the light is dimming in the woods and the cry of the Rougarou is heard from behind the next tree. I'm literally rocking back and forth with excitement right now. I really, really liked that account. Isn't that fun? The growl is always behind you, no matter where. I think you that go. is so cool. That gave yeah. me a little like. That gave me a little like. Ooh, mm-hmm. like a little spooky chill. Yeah. Oh, I fun, love just that. Like, mm. All right, we haven't done survival tips in a hot minute, so here are a few for you. Yes, please. Survival tips. One, it is said that there have been historical accounts of men who have protected themselves from the Ruguru by placing a certain leaf rolled up in their wallets. What leaf? I don't know, but a leaf. Oh, a certain leaf. Cool, that's <laughs> really helpful. Leaf. So uh, just make sure you have a certain just make leaf. make sure you have a certain leaf with you. And what's weird about, like, this that I found is that it says, like, men would carry a leaf rolled up in their wallets, while women would draw hexagons on their floors and enact elaborate chants. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't women carry leaves? No, the two genders. <laughs> are, are you leaves or chants? Are you a certain leaf or are you an elaborate chant? With a hexagon It's also floor. said that you can protect yourself against the Ruguru by laying 13 small objects by your doors. Apparently, when a person changes into a Ruguru, they forget how to count past 12. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Ruguru will see the 13 objects, try to count them, and be unable to count them all. That's this will, a... This will perplex it, and it will keep counting them until the sun comes up, and it must flee. That's a prosy divine, where he's like <laughs> a guy who forgot the number four existed. <laughs> yeah, and it's right? like, how many amiibos did you get? And he goes, one, two, three, and then he starts to do it, and he goes, ugh. I'm like, <laughs> that's what that's off telling you to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Ruguru. Apparently, they forget to count pa- how to count past 12. Um, this writer supposes that it's because once they're a wolf, they only worry about midnight and the moon. Oh, okay. <laughs> but either way, they can't count to 13. Or isn't it just that dogs are bad at math? So if you put 13, like, pennies or pebbles or whatever, like, the Ruger will try to count them and it won't be able to. And it will get so perplexed that it will keep recounting them until the sun comes up. Sure, why not? <laughs> isn't that great? <laughs> I like that, actually. That's pretty good. Um, there's also apparently the association with beer, so stay sober, which is hard if you're in Louisiana. <laughs> you're right. There's so much fun stuff to do. So much fun alcoholic stuff to do. I was going to say, I mean, it depends on where you are in Louisiana, but yeah. like, particularly if I, maybe uh, careful on Bourbon Street, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, if a wolf jumps out at you in an alley in the middle of the night and wants you to fight it, don't. just don't. Just say no. <laughs> maybe just don't fight wolves in general. Just say, especially if a wolf is able to ask you to fight it or to antagonize you. I'm imagining it like, when you know when you go to a carnival and the yeah. people in the dunk tanks, like, yell stuff at you because uh-huh. they're yeah. trying to get you to play? Yes. I'm imagining you, like, walk to the alley and, like, the wolf comes out and it's just like, hey, 
Hey, hey, Blondie. Hey, you don't <laughs> hey, like you want to impress your date there? Fight yeah. a werewolf. Yeah, you look pretty weak. You want to fight me? You want to fight me and prove it? Weakling, weakling, you want to prove it with those little noodle arms? Show your girl a good time. Beat up a wolf. <laughs> what, you think you can take me? She'll love it. <laughs> Uh, so if a wolf comes out of an alley and starts to yell at you like a carnival barker, pun intended, hey. then like get out of just, there. Just like just leave. Just Please, get out just of there. Leave. There's nothing good waiting for you. Yeah. Um. And the other survival tip, as we already talked about earlier, is if you are already a French Catholic, make sure you observe Lent at least once every seven years. <laughs> <laughs> once every six years, because on the seventh you. Oh, that's up. true. Yeah. Don't take any risks with that. Yeah. So. So there you have it. That's the Rougarou. <gasps> that was awesome. Thanks. I had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah. I'm glad you had fun teaching teens how to jazz. I did. But... I taught them how to jazz. I taught them how to make responsible decisions. And I taught them how to be emotionally honest with themselves. That's good. Those are the lessons. And we shared here. the healing power of music and also being out in the sun a whole lot. It was very warm. <laughs> very good, I think. Um, all right. So any announcements? Or are we all set? I think that's all we got for you. Yeah, I mean, as always, you can find us on our various socials. We are on Twitter at CryptKeepPod, C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. That's also our email address, CryptKeepPod at gmail.com, where you can send us any comments, questions, concerns you have about the show, as well as send us your listener stories. Every once in a while when we get around to doing a listener story episode, we tend to draw accounts from um, mostly from our email, although also we do check our DMs that we get on Twitter. Um, so sorry if we take forever to get back to you on those. It's just a matter of, like... You know, getting communication between the two of us and both looking at the messages at the same time and nailing down details, which has been crazy right now because, you know, we're both in the process of moving and relocating Uh and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Not together, unfortunately. She'll be on the other side of the country soon. But but that's okay. It's going to be great. Technology is amazing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, But, yeah, uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, The Cryptic Keeper, which just recently passed 1,000 likes. So thank you for that. That's wild. Uh, And you can come hang out in our Facebook group, The Cryptic Keeper Appreciation Group. Come hang out with some keepers. You can also find us on Patreon, at The Cryptid Keeper. We have a whole host of – we have a bevy of bonuses for you over there. Um, If you are a patron of any tier from $1 or up, you can listen to our secret second actual play podcast. The Horror Borealis, which is a Monster of the Week game that we play, um, and then we upload the episodes there for you to enjoy. We also have, like, fun bonus readings or polls. Sometimes we do movie nights. If you're at the $5 tier or above, you also get an invite to our secret Discord server where you can mm-hmm. come hang out and chat with fellow Cryptic Keeper fans about any number of things. I'm introducing a new series of bonus content as well, which I am tentatively calling After Dark with Addison, where I read classic creepypastas and discuss the prominence of the characters that appear in them. The first one featuring Slenderman will be going up sometime in the next week. Oh, neat. I didn't know about that. So this is cool. Yeah. I'm going to listen to those, too. They're real short. They're just like five minutes of pop, depending on the length of the story. But they're a little fun uh, amuse-bouche to creep you out before you go to bed. There are also sometimes bonus episodes that we release on the Patreon that um, since then we've, we've had a few that we've released on our main feed, like our Tea Kettler episode. Um, as well as what was the other bonus episode that we we released? Did we do the one on? Um, did we do the one on clowns on killer clowns? I don't think we did release the. Oh one. well, on our Patreon, there's a there's a bonus episode about killer clowns, so that's yeah. fun. Featuring um, our guests from our Chupacabra episode and our trolls episode, Lori Melisi of Let the Right Films In. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers all of our bases. I think Visa so. Beast talking to the good folks at home. Our music is by Andrew Giada. Big thanks to him. And as always, we hope we can keep you around. And stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.